Well, hey everyone, welcome back to Ghouls in the House. I am Natalie Latovsky. And I'm Arnold T. Blumberg. And it's been a while. A little bit. It's been, uh, by the time this goes up, it'll be probably just over two months, which is the longest gap we've had since we've done this. Not the longest gap since we were doing podcasting, but it happens. Just long enough for you all to miss us terribly and to be just so delighted that we're back. I sure hope so. Anyway, uh, mainly to try to break the seal and get back into the swing of things. And we had lots of plans for episodes we were going to do. And we still pretty much, I think, plan to do just about everything we had on our list to do. For sure. Um, But we wanted to just get back into one and do, hopefully, a slightly quicker one right now, too, to get things going again. And it kind of... Things went in some different directions. I had a plan for a different episode we were going to do next that just isn't going to happen. And then one night while you we were looking for something to cheer us up, you put on Shudder, which is still a very nice streaming. It's not as good as it could be, but it's a very nice streaming service if you're a horror fan. And they, they have a lot of crap, but then a lot of streaming services have a lot of crap. Mm-hmm. And then they have a lot of nice classics. And then, like, you know, I just put on... As a matter of fact, I just had it on the last day of April and just to cheer myself up. And I think anybody listening will know what I mean when I say this was to cheer myself up. I put on I Walked with a Zombie. Which is super cheerful. It was such comfort food. <laughs> and then I saw the very next day it was gone. So evidently that was one that was leaving. So I had the right. And then I put on uh, Fulci Zombie the day after that. So it's like they have a lot of nice, you know, basic uh, classics. And, and you were looking for something to put on. And you found a movie that I just we just decided this will be our return episode. We didn't know anything about it, but I'm scrolling through their feed of what's available, trying to find something that was kind of light or silly or something like that. And lo and behold, as I go past, I see an image of a pair of jeans strangling someone. And the movie is called Slacks. Slacks with two X's. XX. It's a Canadian horror comedy, and the com well, we'll talk about it. It's a Canadian horror comedy uh, directed by Elsa Kephart, who also did um, another movie that you'd think somebody like me, seen zombie stuff, should have seen already, but I haven't. She did one called Graveyard Alive, a zombie nurse in love that's done in black and white, and I'm kind of intrigued by that because her direction in this is actually pretty amazing, I think. Mm-hmm. It's a slacks. Um, it came out in 2020. It did like the festival circuit. It was a Fantasia film festival. It, it came out on streaming through shutter and, uh, and we put it on and it looked absolutely, it looked like a movie in the vein of, um, Pat Oswalt's routine about the very real movie about the bed that eats people. Mm-hmm. Or I remember the movie years ago that played on Jaws by making the beach, the, the anime, I think it was Blood Beach. And uh, that's one where the sand just eats people. Yeah. And wasn't there also like a cult movie a couple years ago where a tire is killing people or rubber yep. tire? I think it's it just called, called rubber. rubber. I think it's called rubber. <laughs> and I mean, and then, of course, we were originally going to do this more in the style of our previous episodes. We're not only because both of us are just so tired right now. Uh, and we don't have to go into that. But just trust us when we say it's been a rough couple of months. We were going to originally do this as a pairing with uh, a favorite cult movie from the 80s, The Stuff, which does share a lot of similarities in certain respects. Ultimately, we're just going to talk about slacks. But what's amazing is, as silly as this may sound to you, 
And that's not to say a movie about a pair of, or actually several pairs of possessed jeans that are going around the fashion store and murdering people isn't silly. What shocked us pretty quickly was A, how incredibly stylish this movie is. It's beautifully shot. I am not overstating this. It is very nicely made and has some very artful stuff in it and an excessive amount of gore. For those of you that are horror fans that are into the like gory kills and everything, this delivers, believe me. But in addition to that, what really threw us was that about maybe halfway through, there's some stuff in this that is profoundly dark and meaningful and uh, socially relevant and it never stops being silly because it's still basing itself around an absurd premise but it's it's not what it sounds like Mm -hmm. and it's well worth checking out this is such an important night for us a lot of people have been very keen to get their eyes on it jeans that automatically adapt to your body size the Super Shapers! Should, should we call the police? We can't. We're in lockdown. What if there's a killer out there? Are you afraid there's a killer out there? Yeah. And one of the things that we always do when we start a movie where we're not really sure what we're getting into is we both agree if we start it and it clearly looks like it was filmed on someone's cell phone or it's just super shaky or all washed out that we'll, we'll give it a try for like five or 10 minutes. And if it doesn't get any better than that, we usually turn it off partially because I just can't handle the shakes. And also because we really don't want to sit through a whole movie that looks like a class project. And this, I think you're not overstating it either. When you say it, it shocked us at the start about, how great it looked as a film. Yeah. That it's very well directed. The set dressing is phenomenal. The location, which is essentially a high-end clothing store. And essentially one location which does show you you are dealing with a movie that obviously has a lower budget, but it doesn't look like a low-budget film. It just looks like more like a stage play in that you stay in one place for the most part. It's essentially the perfect use for what was probably an abandoned retail location that they were able to take over, but it means that they not only have the front of the store, but they have all the cavernous hallways and back offices and the break room. And whether or not those were all filmed at the same location as front of store, whether they built it on a soundstage or not, I'm not sure. But it genuinely feels like a retail location. It really feels like a real place. And if you, as I, have ever worked in a retail location that sells clothing, it will feel very real to you in terms of the environment. To just give you a bit of a log line, we start off with uh, Libby played by uh, actress Romaine Dennis, who is so instantly endearing. She's such a likable uh, person immediately. She has that look. She reminds me of a couple other people. I can't quite think right now, but um, she's obviously like a big fangirl for this very trendy uh, fashion label. That's the kind of place that has its own stores, you know, and this store will like roll out their seasonal collections 
and they have this very overbearing, disgustingly corporate-speak, uh, culture-speak kind of uh, CEO, Harold, who turns up to give them a pep talk. By the way, as I, as Stephen Bogart is a very prolific Canadian actor, and it seems like that's the moment in this movie where they got the one guy who has a bit more of a name, that mm-hmm. they put him in the one scene because he's in there for that one bit. Uh, did a lot of television years ago. So it, it's this very trendy place. And the whole point of their company is how eco-friendly and aware they are. And like humanitarian, that yeah. everything's ethically sourced, that none of their cotton comes from GMOs, that they don't use child labor. Like basically every everything that any company has ever promised all rolled into one when it comes into like the humanitarian vision. And you can imagine whether or not they completely fail to deliver on every single one of those promises or not. Um, spoiler alert. But anyway, Libby has come to the store to join the team and she's so genuinely excited and everybody there is so genuinely pretentious and smarmy. Uh, Right up to the manager, Craig, who believes that this night, which is in preparation for a major um, media blitz. Another thing this movie does, clearly they have a very negative opinion of Instagram influencers. Very up to date, this movie. And they um, they have this Instagram influencer coming like after midnight. They've arranged to have her do like a special live feed to promote their new collection. And she's going to be there, and the CEO's there to give them a pep talk, and Craig thinks this is his step up in the corporate structure, and Libby's joining the team, and then suddenly a possessed pair of jeans that's part of the new collection starts murdering everyone. And uh, and this comes to light pretty quickly, too, which is another thing I liked about the pacing of this movie. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of time with her saying, like, I thought there was one point where one person is dead, and she's like, this person is dead, and you figure it's going to be that that crap where you lead her to the you lead them to the place, and the body's gone already. No, the body's still there. They find out, and in fact, all that does is provide an opportunity to show you just how crappy the person she's putting her trust in is mm-hmm. to tell. I'm not sure how much we should really say about Ooh. this one since it's a new film, and I think we really want some people. Yeah, to check it I mean, out. I I do think you should definitely watch it to basically it's clear from the poster and from the log line that like there will be pants that kill people in this movie so that's not really a spoiler no and that Um, sounds really really silly and it is really really silly and yet simultaneously while the movie is using this really goofy idea it somehow also manages to do it in a way that i think almost never feels like it's talking down to the audience. It, it doesn't It doesn't do it like some movies do where they're trying to knowingly make a bad movie or a funny movie. Mm-hmm. They're not. In fact, the movie doesn't ever really feel much like it ever goes for a laugh. There's humor in the stupidity of the idea. And in the personalities. Yeah, but it's played straight. Like it's played with a reality that seems almost at odds with the idea. Mm-hmm. And then when you start to find out what's really happening why the pants are killing people, why this is going on. It is surprisingly relevant to the to the modern era and a political and social statement and sad. And uh, 
and kind of profound. And it's just bizarre how much all of that fits into a movie called Slacks. It was definitely not what we were expecting. And the thing is, we also would have been happy with an absolutely ridiculous movie that had no message and killer pants. And I think that was... I think that's why you were looking for. I mean, It's kind of what I was looking for. And it's not what we got, but we were supremely happy with what we got. And one of the things that I think really hits that mark for us is that it falls into that category of like isolation or like limited room to move type movies. Well, as it's basically sort of like a house on haunted Hill, really quite frankly, literally because they are locked in to the store that the idea is that that's right. They have this new product launch and it's super top secret and, and they can't get out. Until they the can't get out until the morning because right. once they start, to like change over the store for the new season and for this new product launch, the whole place goes into lockdown, which I, of course, while watching it said like that can't possibly be legal by any standards of like workplace rules. No, this company also doesn't look like a company that gives a damn about anybody's rights anyway. So it kind of, it falls into place there in terms of house on haunted Hill where everybody is locked into one space and they're locked in with the danger. But this is also, particularly in the final act, very like a zombie movie. Mm-hmm. It it plays at least on some of the tropes from zombie movies, particularly at the end. Um, and in fact, I'll even go so far as to say, without saying anything further about the way the movie wraps up, although I guess by just saying that it gives some people an idea, uh, I feel there's a lot of this movie that feels ultimately akin to classics like Night of the Living Dead. And in some respects, feels like it's making a statement in a similar way to things like what Romero does in Night of the Living Dead. To the extent that I actually wasn't entirely happy with part of the movie because of that, but respected the fact that it was what they chose to do. Um and again, I know that there's going to be people who never going to think this is all sounds really odd for them to be talking about this movie about this pair of pants. First of all, it's not just a pair of pants. It's several pairs of pants by the end of the movie. There's an <laughs> army of pants. But but besides that, yeah, it's it's bizarre. This this movie deserves to be seen at least once by any horror fan that respects some of the other movies we've already mentioned and uh, would like to see what you can really do, I think, with blending comedy and horror and social relevance in a way that works. When a lot of times people try to do that much more consciously and just fail miserably at it. One of the things that I think we both kind of agreed that they didn't quite hit the mark on, it's just the name. It's a terrible name for the movie. It's like we didn't really know what we were getting. And the thing is, I have been racking my brain trying to think of a better option for it, like what you would call it. And I'm not sure. The problem is almost any name you'd come up with would be a goofy title that really doesn't fit. There's this one scene in a hallway 
I mean, I don't think it says too much at this point. I'm, I'm gonna, I, I don't think we should say anything about what is actually going on in this one. That's fair. We usually do full spoilers, but since this is a brand new one. It's super new, and, and you yeah. should definitely watch it We want spoilers. you to watch it. And then tell us if you think we were off base to, to give, give you a chance. It's only like 77 minutes. It's also the perfect length. It's an incredibly short movie. It's barely longer than than like a streaming service hour episode of something. So really, if you think about it that way... It's like you're watching a very tightly paced short story, and it's worth it's it's that's the way a lot of this stuff should actually be done. Yeah, it, it doesn't me, waste time. It made me think that. I mean, the thing is, I genuinely feel most of the time like most movies we watch are just a little too long. Almost everything can have a half an hour taken. And out I of it. think that this just goes to show that you could actually really hit all your storytelling beats and get everything in that you want to get in in a really tight yeah time frame and that works so there was a part I, I didn't want to say much about it except that one of the things we talked about on this show also in the past is how i don't often find like horror movies strictly scary like i don't i don't watch things to be scared i watch horror because i find that's the structure that gives me the kind of storytelling and character that I just tend to enjoy more than a lot of other kinds of drama. It doesn't mean I'm looking to be scared necessarily or unsettled, but there are things that do unsettle me or scare me from time to time. And I and I will say that I thought that this movie, again, in and around some of the silliest ideas that I've seen in a while, there's a sequence at one point where a couple of the main characters at least temporarily figure out a way to try to reach out to whatever this is that's doing this to them. And what's doing this to them has also chosen to try to take on a bit more of a persona than just the pants. And I'm actually going to leave even more, any more about that out. And in that scene, they're watching this thing through like a closed circuit camera, through like the security cameras, and it's trying to communicate with them. And the sequence of it communicating with them, having taken on the shape that it's decided to take on for this sequence, is one of the eeriest things I've seen in a horror movie in a long time. And also, like, profoundly melancholy. And I thought it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And that's in a movie called Slacks. So there with you go. With two X's. With two X's. So there you go. Right. If anybody can think of a name like watch it and then tell us if you can think of a name that feels like it fits better because i haven't gotten there yet but i do feel like there is one because i do think that they're doing themselves a disservice i think so i think this movie is going to get lost in the shuffle and a lot of people are going to look at the dumb poster and the dumb title and think oh that's like i don't know if anybody out there is as old as me and remembers this but another thing this reminded me of not that it really shares much in common at all, except it's just about pants. There is this ridiculous 1980, I think it may have actually been 1980, uh, an 80s sex comedy with Ryan O'Neill that I always remembered seeing a million times as a kid called So Fine, where he's the son of like a, a fashion guy. He's got, got stores and everything. And... Uh, and he, he winds up like having like uh, sex with this woman who's the wife of a guy that they're, I think that's an investor or something. And he's running from her house. And he like, I think he grabs a pair of her pants to put on or something. And they rip open on his cheeks on the back. And he stuffs like saran wrap in him to like, that's going to make it better. And everybody sees it and goes crazy. 
And it turns out he has inadvertently invented the next big fashion trend, which is the jeans they make with the windows in the back. And that was on the posters for the movie, too. And it was so fine. He's like a professor, I think. He's not even part of the company, but the father brings him in like, you've created these pants. They're amazing. And I, when we started with Slacks, I was like, it's going to be so fine, but with murder in it. <laughs> and, and I really wasn't that far off, actually. It's, but I don't know if anybody else remembers so fine, but... It was on cable 47,000 times in the 80s, so you saw it. Which really is, that just tells you everything you need to know about the 80s. That yeah. That's what they were like, I don't know, I can't think of anything to fill the time slot. Throw yeah. in the one about the pants with no butt. My, one of my favorite all-time lines of Jack Warden's entire acting career is in that movie, and since I don't want to slap the explicit label on this one, I'll leave it until after we're recording, and I'll tell you what that one is. <laughs> but I love that line. Um, but anyway... Um, so yeah, that occurred to me. And then but like I said, this is uh this is a stylish piece of work. And and in some respects what I will say also is that yes, it still means this is a silly idea. And in some ways I also feel very disappointed that all the people working on this movie couldn't have been working on something with a slightly better central idea or maybe a slightly more real central idea because they're all so talented and it's so nicely done that I almost feel like it's a shame that this movie has to have that against it that like they decided this really goofy central premise and then they hung so much interesting on it when they could have started from something that maybe was a little bit better as their core but maybe some of these people will move on to some better things i don't know i don't know i also though i kind of like that it's a silly premise that kind of in a sense kind of tricks you into thinking you're just gonna be on a goofy ride and then it's like bam here's a message and bam maybe you didn't think about this this way and like there's these little touches like all throughout like they sort of there's lingering shots everywhere in sort of the back hallways all about like the workers and what they're supposed to be doing and like theft of like product and theft of time and sort of like talking about all the things that like like, the stuff on the walls and everything yeah Yeah, it's like so well done in terms of i guess sort of immersing you in oh, that message. Oh my god, like right away there's the part where they're they're referring to all of their workspaces in the in the store as their ecosystems. It's so disgusting. And yet I also, having not done any retail myself in that way, I have no trouble believing that's probably not the slightest bit of uh, fabrication. I'm sure they just flat out say that. But like when Craig's like saying, you know, how is your ecosystem doing? Get it like no matter where you're staging and you're part of the store, if you're like the sub manager or whatever running that section of the store, it's your ecosystem. And it's like, can't you just like the level of of insane like overemphasis on the importance of what you're doing is such a ridiculous corporate construct. It's like th- this idea that you should feel like you're part of a team. You're there to make money. You're there to live. You're not there to promote a message to the world, which it turns out is a massive lie anyway. And there's but, nothing wrong with like getting along with your coworkers and having like good team communication, but it's sort of like that structured, yeah, like forced thing. It made me think of, I mean, 
when you look for examples of that just recently in the news, there was, I think it was last year, honestly, like the past year has felt like so many years rolled into one. So correct me if I'm wrong, dear listeners, I think it came out last year that basically Panda Express, just like the subpar, like mall food court, (laughs) just all in the same sugar sauce Chinese food. In order to get promoted to, like, even a sub-manager at the place that just gives you crappy Chinese food, you had to go to these seminars, like, team-building seminars that you'd have to pay for yourself. Yeah, it was like a cult thing. They'd, like, lock you in a room and black out the windows and make you strip to your underwear and, like, have you all insult each other until you cried naked and alone in a room. Panda Express. Panda Express. And this was just for people who wanted to go from dishing the crappy Chinese food into the styrofoam to telling people to dish the crappy Chinese food into the styrofoam. And like people were having to pay out of their own pockets to go to these like absolutely insane seminars. And that's just like one story that's come to light recently. And there are plenty of stories like that in corporate culture. And like the idea that even there would be a quote-unquote corporate culture like you know it's it's a company i want to point out a couple other things about this too not it feels like you instantly get defensive when you're trying to like uh gush about the quality of a film like slacks but it's true um and i was just looking at like their wikipedia they currently have a 97 percent on rotten tomatoes but it's only based on 66 reviews first of all rotten tomatoes is all garbage we but hate rotten tomatoes hate it but i still i still i can understand that sometimes you can look at that it is a metric you can use to look at and say what are other critics saying i don't think that it's necessarily remotely valid to use it as an actual arbiter of quality but you can see what other people are saying. And what's interesting is we're not alone in saying that this is a surprisingly good movie. Mm. And for instance, The Guardian gave it three out of five stars. And and I do like the line they offer here. An entertaining skewering of the hidden global politics and retail trendiness. That is an excellent summation of one of the primary themes of this film, which we're dancing around because we don't want to give it away to people watching it. Dread Central gave it 3.5 out of 5. Uh, and one of the many people that now work at RogerEbert.com, because they have a lot of like staff, you know, right. critics now, says 2.5 out of 4. But they said, you know, once you look past the quirks, you would enjoy it. It's like there are people that are seeing this is a nicely made movie. It's entertaining. And it also has something to say. And it says it, I think, pretty damn effectively for a movie about demonic pants. I think one of the reasons we were originally going to pair it with the stuff, which is a movie I think at some point we're definitely... We'll just do that. Yeah, yeah. going to deep dive into because we love it. We love it immensely. But that is also something that has an absolutely silly premise. Yeah. But that silly premise manages to like take you on this ride where suddenly you realize you're looking at that same type of theme rolling out yeah. about consumerism yeah about like what you consume consuming you and it's like, also technically a zombie movie in mm-hmm. the most peripheral sense so and yeah. it's something where something that seems isolated like escalates yeah. 
It also has through Paul Sorvino's character a lot of commentary that feels very up to 2021 about right-wing pundits and stuff like that. So some things don't. He seemed particularly cartoonish back in 1985, but now not at all. Not at all. Um, so but, I, I think we'll yeah. get into that in more detail another time. Yes. But suffice it to say, if you, like we do, love the stuff. I do think that Slacks is going to hit It'll some resonate. of those same notes for yeah. you. And also, even if you just like that, if you like the idea of horror, and <laughs> I didn't originally mean it this way, but it, the line did occur to me. If uh-huh. you like horror uh, commenting on the real world in a cheeky way, and then I suddenly realized yeah. that it's Slacks, you see. Yes, I do. And the poster has the back of the pants. Yes, so, the so, butt portion. Yes, <laughs> the sassy butt portions. <laughs> As Frank would say. Um, so, yeah, it's if you like horror that does that, that actually has fun with the idea of, as they say, I like the word skewering, of a lot of things in our world that are hideously wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a damn, good, uh, a damn good version of that kind of commentary. And as we said right from the outset of this, one that surprised us with just the quality that it had. I would genuinely be interested in seeing what the next thing is from this director and from these writers and, and everybody involved. It was a great team that really everybody in it seems to be giving it their all. And also some nice touches related to the use of other languages and other culture. Yes. There's some nice commentary through Libby and her uh, initial relationship with one of her coworkers. And that then forms a really nice team. Mm-hmm. in the later part of the movie uh, that really touches on things like the way we even inadvertently might inappropriately discuss someone else's ethnicity or background or heritage and how to handle that responsibly and, you know, respecting one another's background and the use of other language. And that's all in here. It's really nice stuff. And there's pants. Pants that kill. Well, we did say at the beginning of this that we were trying to get back into the swing of things again. Uh, Life has been complicated, but then again, everybody's life has been complicated lately. And rather than go into our particular details, I'm sure everybody just understands that uh, life has a way of getting in the way when you want to do things like keep doing your fun little podcast about horror movies. But as I said early on, we have a lot of plans for episodes we wanted to do stuff we actually had planned since the very beginning of starting ghouls in the house Mm -hmm. and uh we have a lot of things that still will work fine i mean most of the stuff this doesn't run out but i will say that um since i'm bearing down on 50 which is insane i've been looking even more at like things that have anniversaries and hoping to cover some more classics particularly for me classics that either Actually, the weird thing is a lot of the stuff that comes from 71, there's some things I'd like to do on the podcast, but I find that there's more stuff for us to do in 81, like 40th anniversary stuff. Mm. One of the things I definitely wanted to do coming up in an episode was The Burning, which is one of the slashers that I probably saw several times as a kid and don't remember much about. But it's, We just picked up a nice Blu-ray. We of got that. a Blu-ray of that. Um, but there are a lot of The Howling is another good example of an 80s 
And then it also gives us the opportunity to pair it with some stuff. And I know you had also uh, planned um, for quite a while that we would do a pairing of Crimson Peak with Screaming Skull, which is a favorite mystery science theater, which we've now picked up a Blu-ray of the movie as itself. I couldn't just leave it there. I think it was one of those that was going out of print um, mm. from Shout Factory or Which is Scream maybe Factory. the best label for getting a lot of the yeah. great horror stuff. And so they had a Blu-ray of the Screaming Skull, which I wouldn't have normally thought to just pick up on its own. But the great thing about it is that the disc includes both the movie itself and the Mystery Science Theater version. And there are some things that we've talked about on the show before where we've um, talked about it after just watching the Mystery Science Theater version so many times that we don't quite get the movie itself quite right. And so we were kind of happy to know that we could have both versions of it on a disc. And before we wrap up this episode, we have to add a special note that goes back to a previous episode because in one of those instances... One of the things we did early in this series was do an episode on them, one of my all-time favorites, and we paired it with Beginning of the End, Peter Graves' movie with the grasshoppers. And we did that mainly because not only was it definitely a film directly inspired by them, because we were seeing it so often on Mystery Science Theater. Except, of course, as we already well knew, but just didn't really think about much, is that just about every movie that Mystery Science Theater ever did has been edited to fit their framework Mm -hmm. because they do two-hour episodes with commercials. They have to fit in the host segments. Sometimes they have a short if the movie is just short enough that it works, sometimes more than one. But the fact of the matter is there's very rarely, I don't know if ever, a case where the movie is wholly unedited on Mystery Science Theater. And one of the things you brought up in our episode, we have now resolved and have to like give props to beginning of the end for, for having rights. So why don't you explain that bit and that'll wrap up this, this short return. And we promise we will try to get back into more of our regular format by our next episode. Yeah. So one of the things that every time we've seen the mystery science theater version of it, and that's many times, one of the things that struck us is that, she stops at the roadblock and brings her camera with her and is like, surely you'll let the press into here if no one else. And they're like, you're crazy. Get back in your car. So she does. And she like hurls the camera into the car, which is like almost the size of the car. <laughs> and like the next scene, she's talking to the military installation in town and saying, can you at least call back to the roadblock so I can get my camera back? And it's one of the things that I always make fun of, of like, that's quite the goof to miss in continuity. And we were watching the episode again recently and it occurred to me that maybe I'm missing something here or more specifically, maybe the movie itself is missing something, namely a scene. And I went and I found the film online and yup. What I thought was her driving away and then driving into town was actually one of the more seamless cuts that Mystery Science Theater has ever done that I can see. Because in the full version of the movie, which is barely longer 
than the episode. It's only like, a I couple think minutes difference. This might be all that they cut. Yeah. She drives away from the roadblock, but instead of going straight to town, actually turns up a hill to try to get a picture of the town from looking over it. And a military guy follows her and takes her camera. So my apologies to uh, the beginning of the end, because actually you didn't goof. I goofed in not watching the full version of the film, even though I thought I was. And well, as we said, sometimes Mystery Science Theater cuts out things. That, I mean, I mean, they had a tough thing to do. They had to cut things down to size to fit whatever, you know. And sometimes we looked at a couple others. Sometimes there's stuff where it just doesn't really matter all that much. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it's a shame because that moment is like a nice extra character moment that shows her defying military authority to continue to try to do her job as a journalist, only to be tripped up by like the MPs. And it's a nice little touch that unfortunately is the one spot Mystery Science Theater decided to clip out. So yeah, yeah. it's a great scene. I could have they could have just cut a scene. Of one of the grasshoppers slash locusts. There's a lot of stuff at the end they could have just cut. Yeah, Yeah, just trim one of the locust battle scenes back just a little bit and let her have the character building moment. But um, my apologies, because clearly that's actually in the movie. So if you listen to the original episode of the podcast on beginning of the end and we're like, why are you razzing on this? You know, the, the scenes in there. Now I know. So we are in the process now of finding the full versions of some of our favorite mystery science theater episodes, I recently bought a double disc of killer shrews and giant Gila monster, the actual movies. I love Gila monster so much. And yet I have never watched that movie as itself. And for all I know, there's stuff in there I've never seen, which would be kind of cool. So, yeah, we're going to try and do that more. Not for everything. There are certainly some movies where we uh, don't really need to see the rest of it. We don't need any Coleman Francis movie uncut. (laughs) They probably didn't cut any of those. Coleman Francis used every take just to hit the mark that he needed to get to. Flag on the moon. Thanks for listening to Ghouls in the House featuring Natalie B. Litovsky and Arnold T. Blumberg. You can find Natalie on Twitter at NBLitovsky. That's NBLit of Sky. And Arnold at Doctor of the Dead. That's me. Our movies this episode were, well, it was one movie. And it was Slacks from 2020. Hi there. And you are? Ghouls in the House is an ATV publishing production. Check out our other podcasts, books on your favorite fictional worlds, and other assorted goodies at www.atvpublishing.com. You are here for the new collection turnaround. This is such an important night for us.